0: Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 53 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Eric Davis. We also have Evan
1: Light. Chuck had to think about Eric for a moment there.
0: (laughs) I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week we have a special guest and that's Farnoosh Brock.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me on.
0: So you haven't been on the show before. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly?
2: Yes. So my name is Farnush Brock and I am the president and founder of Prolific Living and that's at prolificliving.com and uh, Chuck and I met at New Media Expo back in January and uh, we had a lot of fun and he was really shocked that he met an electrical engineer, an ex-electrical engineer at the party there and uh, we just hit it off. And so thank you so much for inviting me to the show.
0: Yeah, well, no problem. It, it was kind of interesting when we met. Um, first off, I, I met your husband before I met you. He's a photographer, if I remember correctly.
2: No, that's not my husband. You oh. met someone else. My okay. husband was actually, he was there, but he wasn't at the event. And um, he actually, you know, works with our company now. So, um, But we were both... In engineering school, and oh, okay. uh, that's that's what we were talking about at the party. But I no longer do that. You know, I write books and uh, create digital programs, and you know, run an online business and coach and speak and a different world from uh, previous life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. The, the reason that I asked you to come on the show is because we, we kind of got into a conversation and I mentioned that I was going to be doing this uh, course yes. and I didn't know how to get people to sign up. I was a little bit disheartened because I didn't have many people sign up. Yes. Um, now we're in the middle of the course, but uh, you gave me such great advice that I wanted to get you on the show so that we could talk about how to build and promote a, a product like that and um, get the word out.
2: Absolutely. Yes, we were talking about marketing and, you know, coming from that engineering background and technical world, uh, Chuck, I never put much emphasis on that either. And so it was really, you know, when I started my business and I learned just how important it is to market, you know, in your own style and really original and authentic way, but still get the word out because you do all this work. And then, you know, if people don't get your product, it's just because they don't know about it. So sure, we can talk about that.
0: Yep, absolutely. I know that Eric has some ebooks and other products that he sells as well, so um, awesome. you know, we can probably color this a little bit with our experience, but um, it sounds like you really got it down, and so uh, I'm kind of going to throw it over to you and just let you uh, give us a couple of suggestions on how to get the word out about a product that you're working on.
2: Okay, all right, so it's actually does depend on the product you are doing, you know, like right now, I actually um, just signed a book deal on November, like end of November, early December for a first book with a traditional publisher. So in the past, I have self-published my work, but this one was working with uh, someone else on their deadline. And so book marketing, if you want to talk about that, is a totally different thing than, let's say, uh, marketing your coaching services, right? So um, is there any particular interest? you guys have and I also have courses you know so did you want me to delve into any of them or just give general advice
1: all the above personally because I'm working on a book and I market myself as a one-on-one coach also so uh, those are both of interest to me
2: Okay, great. So, uh,
0: why don't we start with the one that is probably most relevant to most of our audience, which are freelancers or people who want to be freelancers, and Mm -hmm. kind of go with the consulting or coaching, you know, your services kind of marketing.
2: Awesome. Okay, let's do that. And um, I have been uh, focusing a lot on that and I've experimented a lot with different things that worked and didn't work. So let's take coaching services, all right? So the first thing you need to do is define your target client. And um, I read a great book. I know you may want to ask me, you know, my books and my picks later, but I will throw this one out there. It's by Michael Port uh, called uh, Book Yourself Solid. And uh, Book Yourself Solid is a system that he provided, but there were some really golden nuggets that I took away from him. And one of them was being transparent about your pricing, because there's a lot of you know back and forth. Should you publish your prices, coaching and consulting prices specifically, or should you not? And so he promotes that you should. And he also is very, very clear on defining your target client to the point where you are willing to not accept people who are not your target client. And he goes on to tell you why. So believe it or not, that's the beginning of the marketing getting true clarity for yourself, what it is you offer and who it's for, that way it's going to start to make its way into your speech and your conversation and your writing and your blogging and your social media, you know, messages that go out. So the first clarity is there. And if you have that down, then we move on to the next level. But for instance, I give you an example, you know, I help people in my coaching business Specifically, uh, with uh, drastic career transitions. All right, so I don't help you know college kids. I don't help people who are you know, you know, um, you know. I don't know want to necessarily go off and become entrepreneurs. I help people who are going through a very drastic change in their career and they don't know what to do. Right to make that very difficult transition. So. I'm very clear on who that is. And then I build my program around that. I create a web page, of course. You know, you have to have all the material. And then I create my packages and my pricing. And at the beginning when you're starting out, you know, few people know about you, right? You're starting out. So I do believe in doing very few, very few pro bono coaching sessions. I believe more in maybe giving away your product at the beginning rather than giving away your time. I think, you know, and some people... You tell you, you know, you should give away a lot of your time, but I think your coaching services, you know, you probably don't want to give away too much. I just want to do enough at the beginning to build some testimonials and some credibility and some practice for yourself to make sure you are serving indeed the right client, you know, validate all of that. And then you just build up your page, right? This is all part of the marketing. And so let me pause here because I don't want to dominate the conversation.
0: No, that's (laughs) fine. I, I do have one question. And that is you're, you're saying give away your product instead of your time? What exactly do you mean by that?
2: I mean that I am actually more prepared to give away products for whatever reason. And and I'm, I'm not saying this is a regular practice, but if you had to choose between giving away free products, samples, or discounts on products versus services and your time, I am more likely to do the products than the services. I have done the coaching, I have given away coaching packages, and I've always regretted it because I don't believe the people who get your time for free value that at all. It's really a weird psychological uh, thing. And um, when they get the products for free, you know, that varies. And if they don't really appreciate the product, you haven't spent your precious time on them to find that out, right? So I would... Yeah, go ahead,
1: Sorry, please. I was going to say, I, I think that's something we, we've talked about maybe way in the past on the podcast that, uh, that people tend to value – things based upon how much they pay for them. And uh, I think that's come up in the past about how we talk about our rates. Uh, as we're being quiet and listen, and letting you talk, frankly, you are a very good speaker. I hope you, you do public speaking often. You're, you seem to be a natural.
2: Thank you. That's such such a huge compliment because funny enough, I invested a fortune in a voice coach just last week because it's an area i want to improve on so maybe just mentally i've made that shift but i love that compliment thank you who made that was that eric
1: no this is evan
2: evan okay all right we're gonna be best friends that's awesome
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm the one with the sense of humor eric's the not funny one (laughs) 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 sorry eric no that was that that was that was evil
2: so, but no, I mean, going back to, you know, okay, so uh, putting out there co- your coaching and your consulting services, I think it's really, really important to price things correctly. In fact, today I did an ep- a po- podcast episode where I was talking about four bold steps to do your pricing and to communicate that pricing and that offering without apology and without insecurity and without shame or any of that. Because, you know, as entrepreneurs and business owners, especially at the beginning, we had have that. So, so one, one advice I have for you, which is going to still work itself into marketing is this. You want to price your coaching packages and consulting packages higher than you feel comfortable because more often than not, you are pricing yourself too low. So when you price yourself a little higher than you're comfortable, then when you have to over-deliver, because we do want to over-deliver, right? Quality is a non-issue. We all want to do quality work. You don't become resentful. You know what I mean? Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm where you know you're I think you've,
1: we've all been here yeah
2: yeah so and it's a learning you know progress it's it's not a one-time thing but um i would say we are probably pricing too low and um it's just you know that's that's where it starts because you know you want to make sure the foundation is right your message is right you have to like right client the packages and the pricing before you go out there and market your services and your offers
3: well another so, thing also if you have a higher price for something, you can do a lot more. Like I've seen, Mm -hmm. like I sell one of my eBooks for $49 and I've seen some people complain that it's not $9 like on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm also including like a one hour webinar recording that I did, which is, you know, an hour of my time is, you know, a couple hundred Mm -hmm. dollars. I'm including that for free. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, I get some kickback from like maybe maybe like half a percent of the people about the price, but everyone else loves it. And some people were like, wow, this like this video you have is like, awesome. Like I would have paid double for that video alone. And I yeah. mean that just by having the higher price, I was able to kind of bring in more income so I could dedicate more time to the product to actually produce the webinar and then record it and give it away. And I was, you know, like you said, I was going above and beyond just a book and everyone who's gotten it loved it.
2: Right. Yeah. So what, how does that make you... Turn... Oh, oh, sorry. Go, go ahead.
3: ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, no, I'll, I was I'll just...
2: Yeah, I was just curious because the people who complain and come to you, because we all have to deal with that criticism, you know, and I'm wondering, how do you manage that? Do you respond to them? Do you just, you know, do you go out there and try to convince them that they are, it's a worthy product? Like, how do you manage that?
3: Um, a couple of times, like when it first started, like when I was scared, like, oh, I'm afraid I'm pricing too high. Like I tried to reason with them and, you know, explain it. And then I kind of came to the conclusion that it was such a small percentage and realistically even if my product was nine dollars they had probably complained that it wasn't three dollars and they still Mm -hmm. wouldn't buy it so i kind of kind of gave up if it's they have like an actual real criticism or someone else has like a real uh negative feedback about it i'll take that into account but if it's just a a knee jerk this needs to be cheaper i kind of just ignore it and move on good
0: yeah one, one thing that i've seen with that is that people either want it or they don't And uh, the example that I'm going to give, I'm actually in the middle of teaching the Rails ramp up course right now that we talked about at New Media Expo at the speakers event. And what happened was I I wound up pricing it. I'm not going to tell people what the original price was, but I, I basically doubled that price to come to the price that I actually wound up selling it at. And it turned out that, that, you know, people didn't really, it it didn't seem to make a huge difference as far as people's willingness or or ability to pay for it. It was the people who really wanted to be in the course and really wanted to have what it offered um, were willing to pay the higher price. And they didn't even blink or uh, bat an eye at it. In fact, some of them, I think, took it a little more seriously because it was, you know, uh, quite a bit more expensive than it would have been if I'd left it at the original price. So what it really comes down to is, yes, you can price yourself out of the market that you're trying to target. But typically, you're going to have to be really, really exorbitant in your pricing in order to do that. Otherwise, so, if okay. the value is there, they're willing to buy it. So
1: I tend to find that I'm the oddball here. Um, I think it's one of the things that keeps me coming back to the podcast, that um, I tend to be the guilty capitalist. I don't like charging. I, I, I feel concerned about being extractive. Of, of, my, of my customers, especially when my customers are part of a community that I participated in on a regular basis. That is, um, this is a Ruby freelancers podcast and I'm very active in the Ruby community. Mm-hmm. And most of my customers come from this community. I'm, I'm not concerned about being extractive as a matter of reputation for me. It's purely a matter of, of conscience that at some point I will have, I know I have difficulty looking at myself in the mirror. So in, in a, for a book I'm working on, I found a solution a friend of mine's been using that I, I rather like. Although his books are actually fairly cheap, I haven't decided on a price point for my book. But what he also offers for those people who can't afford it or are just willing to take the time is he lets he lets his customers or lets some of his customers who, who someone who can't afford the book hypothetically um, mm-hmm. just send him a postcard, and then for the, when he gets a postcard, he sends them a book.
0: Okay and okay.
1: so that that turns out to be a fairly small percentage, as far as I know, of his customer base, and those are often I think in his case, for college kids or you know people who are just starting off who don't have a lot of money to work with, um, right. and he still makes a fair amount of money off of his books, so I guess I, I'm sort of coming around to the question of what's your feeling on pricing, and do you concern mm-hmm. yourself with being extractive of i mean do you at some point feel I'm <laughs> just being greedy with the pricing and and how do you how do I, you negotiate that with yourself?
2: Yeah. I, I love that. Well I mean, can I take that question, please? Go ahead. Okay. So I, I love that because um I know how you feel. You want to make yourself accessible. You want to reach a large uh platform of people, you want to share your message. You don't want them to worry about that. So what you do is, I I, in my opinion, you offer different um Different levels uh, to um, of access to you, you know. So you can have your really bare minimums, you know, like a ten dollar book. I mean, just about everyone can afford a ten dollar book if they're serious about learning what it is you're offering. Ten dollar investment, I think it's you know pretty fair, right? So you sure. can start there. That can be your your um barrier to entry to getting to know. And who am I speaking with? Is this Eric? Oh,
1: this is Evan again.
2: Oh. Evan, I'm sorry. So this is the barrier to entry to getting to know Evan. And before that, before even the ten dollar You have all your free stuff. You have, you know, I have free newsletters. I have free blog contents. I have free podcasts. I mean, I have a lot of free stuff out there and people can learn a lot from me and what I do and techniques and details and all that just from the free stuff. If they wanna go one level higher, then they make a small investment and then you can pick it up. The highest investment I believe should be one-on-one time with you if you indeed value your time, but you can, you know, have different levels of access for different people. So that way people can, um, You know, reach you. Another thing that Michael Port talks about is you always have something that's free, something that you always invite people to. He does free coaching, group coaching weekly calls. So he charges $800 for, you know, 45 minutes of his time, but he does free group coaching calls. If you attend those calls, you get on the phone, you ask him a question, he answers it free. You know, that's something he offers all the time. So you can always say, if you can't afford my stuff, you can listen to my podcast, sounds, attend my sounds show. Sounds a
1: little like something that Seth Godin mentions too, where he uh, mentioned mm-hmm. what he describes often describes a gift economy, and that giving away something for free is a way to demonstrate that you have that much more value because you can afford to give something for free.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Right. One well, one
0: other thing that uh, that comes to mind with this discussion is that I feel like, especially with this course, that the value is there. And so, um, I mean, I don't feel bad charging what I'm charging because I feel and like Chuck, people. I don't are want getting... you to feel.
1: I don't want you to feel like that, that. I'm saying anything about what you're pricing. No, I don't I... know what you're pricing. It's just a routine concern of mine in general, right. especially with our community at large.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and the thing is, is like with my clients, it's the same thing. You know, my rate. I want to make sure that they're getting they're getting the value that they're paying for that, uh, you know, they're getting the hundred and whatever dollars worth of of uh, work out of me every hour and that they're happy to pay that. And as long as I am providing that value, I don't necessarily feel bad about where my rates are, or what I'm charging for products. But if somebody felt like they didn't get the value out of it, then I would definitely want to address that one way or the other, because, you know, for me, that's a question of integrity and, and whether or not Like I said, you know, if if it's worth it to them, then terrific, then I'm doing my job. If it's worth more to them than what I charged, then I'm definitely doing my job. And if it's not worth that much to them, then there's something wrong and we've got to make it right.
3: Well, that's kind of like a rule of thumb I use is I kind of work backwards to get the price. I figure out what the value is. So say it's like, you know, $1,000 of my time and I, yeah, $1,000 of my time. So I figured, okay, I can charge 5 to ten percent of that and you know they're basically getting the rest of it so you know if I charge a hundred dollars and they get that knowledge that I give them and they go and make a thousand dollars that's a great investment on their part like you you can't get that in the stock market and if I'm okay with you know getting a hundred dollars for helping them that's great on my part so everyone leaves happy and so i um, on a lot of the pricing for the products I've done I've worked backwards of how much time am I saving them how much you know, pain, frustration, am I saving them? How much are they going to grow their business? And then, you know, arrive at some dollar amount and then kind of take a percentage of that. And for some of the stuff, yeah, for some of the stuff, it's like, you know, it's like maybe five or 10% for a small business, but if it's something that can change like, you know, 200, 300 person company, like a process in there, you know, I could be taking like 0.11% of the total value because of the effects when you affect processes in larger groups. So that's that's how I work at it. And it's really hard because you've got to dig and figure out, okay, how are they actually getting the value and put an actual hard number on it? Once you do that, the rest of it becomes cake. Yeah. And the thing that I like about
0: that too is that um, we're, we're all kind of talking around the fact that you know if you're charging less than the value that somebody gets out of it, then you're, uh, you're injecting value back into the system and into the community as opposed to extracting it, which is, I think, what right. Evan's concern was.
1: Yep, pretty much. That's that's a very good way to put it, Chuck. That's an excellent way to put it.
0: So I, I'm a little curious. Uh, there there were several things that you mentioned to me about doing uh, this course, and I think a lot of them apply to, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting the word out for your coaching business and things like that. Um, how do you get the word out once you've settled on who your target market is and set the pricing around what things are going to cost? Right. How, how, how do you how do you help people find it?
2: Right, I think our conversation was that I was telling you about my one of my first courses, which was actually to help people get out of a corporate job, you know, build a smart exit plan. And um, I actually, you know, took it very seriously. You know, the, the first time I was offering it, you know, as I was building the course material, right, there's the time where you're creating the content. At the beginning, actually six months before that, I started a very targeted newsletter just for people who were struggling in their career. And I started sending them free newsletters and telling them, that i was helping i mean i was thinking about building a course what is it they want what is it they need so i was already building a very niche uh group collecting emails you know the stuff that you guys know and um you know that's that's one of them and um building up to it and then kind of serving them even making you know some uh calls building some relationships and then started to basically introduce them to the course and um when it was time to market the course, that was one target uh, channel of uh, marketing for me. And I marketed pretty aggressively. So um, I have different levels of comfort. I have different, uh, you know, newsletters, different uh, groups. I have a health group. I have a confidence list, uh, email list. And then I have this career list. And I have different comfort level- levels on how aggressively or softly I market to them. Because this course was something they had asked for, it was not something that was going to be available all the time. It was going to be just, you know, Twice a year. And I've been working so hard at it. When it was time to market, you know, I think I might have sent 12 to 15 emails. And every email had content, a story, a point, a takeaway. But in the end, I was like, look, the course is coming. It's going to be here. If this is the situation you're in, you need to be here. This is, you know, time to address your problems, what have you. And I'm, by the way, happy to share the messaging of that as reference for you guys later. Beyond that, I used guest posting as a huge strategy for this. And, um, this is a lot of work. You know, my marketing isn't exactly, you know, overnight. Uh, it's very, very heavy work and it's built around content because I feel comfortable creating content, telling stories, create, you know, spreading my message. So. I have that comfort level. I wrote a lot of guest posts and I targeted places and platforms where I already had maybe somewhat of a relationship with the blogger or maybe the magazine online, but um, also they had the right audience, so to speak. And some of them didn't pan out at all. Some of them had no response. You know, you write for a big magazine or big blog, nothing comes of it. And sometimes it's the small stuff. Like you do a little interview on a small radio and they have a devoted audience, so you have to set aside time to target those uh, places. You have to put yourself out there. It takes a lot of guts and courage and tell them, look, you know, hopefully you have built some relationships. So you're not just asking for a favor, but you tell them, look, I really think your audience can respond well to this. We can talk about it. We can do an interview. We can give them content. But we can also pitch my course. So I did um, guest market, uh, guest uh, guest posts, uh, email marketing, uh, blogging. I blogged about it, you know, on my uh, own website. Uh, social media. I actually, you know, did some, you know, careful scheduling of, you know, a lot of messages that I believed was relevant weeks in advance. I was using Hootsuite at the time, mainly on Twitter. I started joining LinkedIn groups because it was a career-based, you know, uh, product. Yours is may or may not really to this but forums that focus on that and I think maybe I had one or two students that came from there not not the majority of them and what else Um, I tried to do some kind of traditional marketing but I didn't go through with it you know advertising or getting some media attention um, and um, just didn't pan out I didn't think that was where my target audience was and um, I think that was it I did the same thing the second time I offered the course plus one thing Okay, and this is the part where I am actually pretty proud of myself because I didn't think it was going to go this way. So for the second time, I offered the course six months later, and I'll close really quickly so you know you guys can comment. Um, I doubled the price because I was putting so much into it. I had built it out. I had firsthand feedback, and this is for corporate uh, professionals who make six figures. So you know the investment in my course with the return on investment they were getting was uh, was not not bad not bad. So, and then I ended up closing most of those sales on the phone, which is not something you think about when you think online marketing, but a lot of people had interest, but before they dropped six hundred dollars into my class, they wanted to make sure there's somebody real behind it, and they wanted to talk. And one person gave me the idea to get on the phone, and then I ended up actually offering it to anybody who had questions about the course. So instead of sending them emails, I would say, "Do you want to get on the phone and chat with me?" And I closed those sales on the phone because there were just, you know, the seeds of doubt. Like, is she credible? Is this going to help me? Assuming it was the right course for them. So that was my strategy for the second time I marketed that. Now let's talk about whether any of that is relevant to your course. And if not, what else you can do to uh, market your course?
0: Well one thing I want to ask really quickly is uh it seems like a lot of these are good for getting the word out for your consulting and things like that and, and closing the sales on your uh, over the phone for your coaching or consulting you know that makes a lot of sense and I think that's the direction we wind up going a lot of times anyway I'll wind up talking to people on Skype or over the phone and you know get a good feel for it I actually went up to Park City On Tuesday and met with Mm -hmm. a potential client because they were, you know, within an hour of, of where I work and live. Yeah. Awesome. But, uh, you know, I, I hadn't thought about doing that with the course.
2: I know. Until you mentioned it. And
0: then I was like, holy cow, that, that's, that's a really interesting idea
2: yeah in fact i was i was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time you know just consuming information and um uh who is the 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 guy that we lost very recently he was this you know amazing um i should have looked him up Ziegler. anyway he, yes thank you so much so zig ziglar you know i actually learned about closing sales on the phone from him i remember i was listening to his podcast and then i was at the same time trying to, you know, do the marketing for my class. And I remember I just decided I'm going to get on the phone with people. I'm going to add that personal touch. And I actually added a phone number on my sales page. So, and I just remembered one other thing I did for video, uh, for for marketing for the second time around, I tried a video marketing approach on top of what I told you. So what I did is, and this is something some high-end coaches have tried with their programs and I really liked it. So let's say you work backwards, six weeks, maybe four weeks to six weeks before your class, you release uh, videos that may be a part of a series let's say you're teaching people how to code, right? That's some of the stuff you talk about. And you choose to offer free content, right? Mine was getting in front of the video camera, picking a topic about career. And you actually, you know, talk to that free content. And at the end, you talk about how if they enroll in your course, you're going to give them even more information. So I released those videos and they were they, they were very popular. So I got in front of my board and actually, you know, did the drawing. And, you know, that seemed to resonate with this audience. But it was a different kind of content release that also was a teaser to the paid course. And I know this works because it works on me when I signed up for a coaching course myself, I had no intention, but I kept watching the videos of the person doing the class. And by the end, I was like, I have to get in this class. I have to do it, right? So it's just like a trailer, if you will. You you wanna give them content, but also build a teaser that, you know, and build your credibility. You know, I know what the heck I'm talking about, all right? And if you get in the course, you can learn more from me.
3: Yeah, I've done that exact same thing where, I had a book, it was about, um, basically about Redmine stuff, which is a software program. And, you know, that was the ebook and to promote it, I recorded a dozen, maybe, maybe a little more um, short, like three or five minute screencasts, um, whereas, you know, kind of giving some content that's similar to the book, but it's not actually Mm -hmm. from the book put that on YouTube, put it on my site, sent people to it and basically did like, you know, as someone watched it at the end, it'd say, you know, if you like this, you can subscribe to uh, my newsletter and also see the rest of these videos in the series. And you can also get a coupon to buy my book at a, I don't remember what the discount was. And that actually worked really good. Like I got people to watch the videos. They enjoyed it, got value from it. And the people who wanted more actually went out and bought the book or emailed me like, Hey, can you do a video on this other
2: topic? Right, exactly. And you captured their emails just in case it wasn't the right time for them, but they still liked you. They had, you know, built that connection with you and you didn't want to lose it. So very smart. Right.
3: And another thing I've been doing, it's I set it up, I guess a year, maybe a year and a half ago when the book came out. But it's, uh, I think Chuck has something like this too, where you have a, you know, you ask someone to, to sign up for like an email um, newsletter course and mine's like nine days. It kind of teaches you about, um, a certain topic. And then at the end of it, it's like, hey, if you enjoyed this, you'll enjoy my book. That kind of goes into more depth and more detail about it. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I said, it, I think like a year and a half ago, maybe longer, and I'm still getting sales. Like people are signing up, they're enjoying it. They're replying because I actually, I ask questions and say, hey, what's the answer to this? I'll tell you in the next email. But if you know right now, reply to me. I get nice. replies from that one all the time. And, you know, it's still going. And it was one of those you know, 10, 15 hours of work. And it, like I said, works for a year and a half.
2: Exactly, exactly. You put in, you invest the time and then you set it up in such a way that it continues to work even when you're not working. Yeah, very smart, very nice.
0: One other thing that, and and this is related to this, I've been working with another member of the Podcast Mastermind who is a marketing specialist and does coaching for that and uh, we've kind of been trading services, so I've been helping him with some technical things, and then he's been helping me with my marketing for uh, my course and my business as a whole. And one other thing that he... Uh, mentioned to me that I may want to do with my course is now that I've done the first session is, uh, you know, put up a a sign up where people can get the first session and maybe some of the materials I've prepared for that. And uh, that way they can see exactly what they're getting from the course instead of just building credibility. It's look, this is what a session looks like. This is what you get out of it. You know, you get all this extra content as part of the course and, uh, you know, really kind of get people, you know, in the door and then, you know, they can sign up for the course and get the rest of the content um, mm-hmm. as, as part of the deal.
2: Right, 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 right. And so, yeah, you, and I mean,
0: you, you trickle yeah. that out every few weeks, you know, so you get the the main video. And then, the ne- you know, a couple weeks later, you get, you know, some of the extra content that I have. And that way, the the contact is kept warm until it's time to sign up for the next course. And then it's, hey, you know, we're opening sign ups for the next course, you know, go sign up if you've enjoyed the stuff that I've been <laughs> sending to you.
2: Right, exactly. No, I mean, there's there's so many ways to get creative with marketing. I think once you get confident and trust yourself and you have, you know, all the foundational foundational stuff, you know what your product is, you know who it's for, then you can get, you know, gutsy and have fun with it and go out there and just, you know, get so creative. I mean, we have so many tools at our disposal. It's not even funny. So that's awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing that I want to ask you, Farnoosh, um, you mentioned all of these different ways that you got the word out, you know, with the mailing lists and guest posting and blogging, social media, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm curious as to which ones were really the the most uh, effective for you in, in marketing your course.
2: Yeah, a great question because I did sort of a postmortem and a looked back and I believe email marketing to my career list because I built a relationship with them for a long time plus guest posting on certain blogs uh, I think Pam Slim do you know her escape from the cubicle nation she has a good blog Dan yeah. Miller the 48 day community I had a couple of you know students come from that I had people come from the Dan Miller community the actual you know uh, internal forums that they have and I was actually you know being really active at the time so, so those two so guest posting the comment definition of guest posting and email marketing. I think I had maybe one person from Facebook, which I didn't think would happen, I even did some Facebook advertising, but I don't think that went anywhere. It wasn't the right market for my career product. Now for my juicing, which is my health product, that's a different story. You know, Facebook responded really well to that one. But um, I think to answer your question, it was a combination of my email marketing, but it was a very targeted email list. Uh, guest posting, not all of them, you know, I did probably 20 guest posts and maybe two or three of them were really, really well received. And I got students from that. And then um, I had a couple of people, like I said, one person from Facebook and then a couple of people from uh, maybe LinkedIn and Twitter. Can't remember exactly, but um, it was uh, that kind of distribution. And then um, uh, one of them was referral. Like it was actually uh, Cliff mentioning it on his show and uh, one of his uh, listeners came over and took my class, you know, I had a handful of students, but you know, it was $600 a pop. So it was, it was okay. You know, I think I had maybe 12 or 14 students for that one. Right. And it was an eight week course. It was a lot of commitment, but, um, it was, uh, you know, it was good. It wasn't as many as I had hoped, but you know, I, it was more than I had, uh, had before the, in, in the first offering.
3: So yeah. And you also have to be careful with, you know, trying to figure out where people came from, cause I had this set up on one of my sites with the analytics and I was able to track like, okay, this guy purchased well he actually clicked a Twitter link and that's what actually caused the purchase. But looking back through the analytics, I found that he's clicked Hmm. about a dozen links in my email newsletter. He's watched something on my YouTube channel. He's came from another site. And so it's like, you know, you you can kind of make like a gut check like, oh yeah, Twitter is going to be great for developers. Well, in fact, it might actually be your email newsletters what's great. They just might end up following you on Twitter after reading your newsletter and from Twitter is where they actually go to your site. Yeah. So I mean, in my Opinion, I think email newsletters are the great, the best because they let you kind of keep in touch with people and kind of build a relationship versus a lot of other things aren't as effective and like Twitter and Facebook and advertising, you have to like, you know, jump in someone's face and they have to be right there when it happens, whereas email is kind of as passive about it. It's true.
2: And you know, that that actually is a really good point. This reminds me because I was a little frustrated because this was a, you know, a pretty expensive class and I still offered uh, affiliate program, you know, like uh, affiliate commission. I think it was, you know, maybe 30, 40%. It wasn't quite 50% because there was a lot of life coaching. So I remember one of my own good buddies who had been, you know, wanting to take the class forever actually It came through as an affiliate commission, I'm like, what on earth? I mean, I knew this guy had been on my email list, but he read a guest post. And on that guest post, I had given them an affiliate commission. So... I would say, I wouldn't say, you know, don't do affiliate commissions, but I would say be very careful because it's possible the, you know, you may end up giving money away, but it may be your own reader that goes through that circle you just talked about and ends up being ready to purchase and then they click on an affiliate link. So um, I'm comfortable doing, you know, affiliate program for my passive products. But if I have to put my own time, like I said, I had group coaching calls and it was live and a lot of personal attention and email commitment, then i I would, um, you know, I would just be um, careful and, um, you know, be comfortable with whatever you decide to do.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, One other thing that I wanted to talk about, because we've talked about like newsletters and blog posts and things like that, and that's where people are clicking through. I found that if I am like, if you're trying to build a brand, a podcast is a really good way to go. But if you want people to actually click through on something, you have to get them to the web. And it's a, know, it's a context switch that they have to make, whereas with the newsletters and other things, a lot of times they're already on their computer. All they have to do is click that link and they're there.
2: But you know what? That reminds me. My podcast brought in a couple of people. And I think you build amazing relationship with your podcast, with your listeners. You may not even notice. And if you have those short and sweet links, like, you know, prolificliving.com slash... Test, you know something simple that they can remember uh, you might be surprised so I had actually some people come through from the podcast you're right you know you have to uh, make it really really easy for them because they're not going to be in front of the computer when they listen to the podcast but podcast is a great marketing tool so you just have to do it to the point where you're comfortable and you're not really pitching it very much so what I did is I just you know I talk about communication and how if you can communicate well enough, you can have anything you want. And so I just geared the topics more toward career and professional setting during that time, so it lends itself better to talking about my class but um, it was it was just more of a natural progression. So, but no, podcasting is definitely a great way to get the word out. So another thing I just remembered is something really creative and that is getting in other people's inboxes. And that means actually, instead of offering to do a guest post, you know, you go to someone that hopefully you've built a relationship with them. You know, they have an email list, et cetera. You could say, you know, I know you're so busy. And um, do you mind if I write your next newsletter for you? right? And in exchange, I'd just like to talk a little bit about my class, right? And, you know, you have to know their style of writing. But if you can actually have them feature you in their newsletter, right, then you're actually even getting more than just getting on their blog. And uh, you might be surprised how many people might be open to that. So I kind of came up on that idea late in my marketing. I didn't have a chance to really explore it. But um, I know that some very successful people have done that and grown their audiences. So,
0: I I really like that idea. The other thing is, is if you're part of the community that is out there at large, you know what they're talking about. And so in a lot of cases, if your course or book or whatever is geared toward that, then in a lot of cases, you know, it's not even a stretch for them to to have you do that. Oh, you're an expert in something that they care about, and you want to do this for for free, and you're going to mention your class or your book in there. Oh, that's fine. Go ahead.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Right. I mean, it almost seems like a favor to them, especially if they trust you.
0: Well, and I think it goes back to Evan's point of injecting versus extracting value. And so if you can write that newsletter in a way that adds value to those people, you're not extracting value by putting something in there that says you can get more value here. Do we have any other questions about uh, promoting a product or can we move into maybe uh, building and designing a product for your market? I thought Um, we were
1: going to also talk about promoting... Well, we did talk a little bit about promoting services.
0: Okay. But we've mostly been talking about products. Yeah. So is it different then, promoting a service versus promoting a product?
2: you know um services assuming your services are ongoing right like my coaching is always ongoing i like to uh build it in to my conversations to my interviews to you know to whenever you know i'm talking about my personal experience you know i i like to build it in i like to build in client stories client success stories so i like to do more subtle marketing with my coaching to the point where it says This is what I do and here is a success story and here is a person I helped and here is what I learned from my client. And when I was working with my client, you're still making a point. You're still creating content. But I work that in and it's sort of something I do, you know, almost all the time, but not too much in your face. So it's more ongoing. Whereas for a product, generally, I think of, you know, there's a launch cycle. And of course, you know, later on, you'll be re- promoting it again. But I think that's where, you know, you're really, really focused heavily on it during a period of time. And um, the other one is more subtle, but it's really built in to what you do. So when you introduce yourself or when you are again doing an interview I do lots of interviews or when you are um, you know um, I, I uh, do another thing the most recent thing I'm working on for marketing is Harrow. Help a reporter out, which is a newsletter. You sign up, you know, you get three emails a day. So it's very intense. But basically, you know, thousands and thousands of reporters and journalists are signed up to that and they're looking for sources. And so if you act as that source, they give you a link back. And, um, you know, and I can get into that if you guys are interested. And the response rate isn't a lot. But when they do get back to you, you know it's pretty good. And depending on what the magazine or article or whatever is, where it's going to go, you get a link back, you start building a relationship. And so that can actually build credibility because... When people do a search on Google, in those topics later, your name comes up, not on your website or on some blog, but on a rather credible source, you know, Uh, I don't know, maybe the San Francisco Chronicle. I don't know. I mean, everybody's on Harrow. Sometimes you get really small sources, sometimes bigger. So that's worth checking out. And there is a technology section because I think you guys are, are pretty techy here. So there is definitely a section where you can contribute and find a fit for your expertise.
0: That's really interesting. So um, can you explain a little bit about how this works? I mean, do you just sign up, put in, I'm really good mm-hmm. at web stuff or mobile stuff okay. and, and that's it or, or is there more to it?
2: Uh, It's actually not that it's basically a a subscription you subscribe to them and they've actually added something really annoying so I can warn you about it They have partnered with Vocus. I think that's the company And so when you sign up you just sign up you just look up Harrow help a reporter out you sign up for their newsletter But Vocus calls you and tries to offer you their services and they make you give them a phone number So you know you can give them a google voice number and then you know get on the phone say you're not interested be done with it Then monday through friday you get the harrow emails and they are divided by section and it's basically queries you know a reporter says this is what i need this is who i'm looking for sometimes they have requirements you must be you know 20 to 40 years old in this industry you must be hr uh, professional you must have a phd whatever sometimes they don't have any you know requirements and then it has a time frame you know they need the material usually between 24 hours to 36 hours, sometimes a few days later, but it's pretty quick, right? Because they just need the material to, you know, put their stories together. So I have a template and you basically want to respond and you want to give them. So there's some best practices around that. And, you know, can you tell, like, I've been really focusing on this because it's been, you know, really fun. So... You basically have a template. You introduce yourself very briefly. You tell them quickly why you are the expert. And then you answer the question in exactly the form they need. Usually I send them bullet points. You don't want to send them to a blog post. You don't want to give them homework. You want to make it as easy as possible. If you've ever worked with a reporter or a journalist, you know, if you make it easy for them, make yourself available on the phone, whatever, and then send it to them, then, um, you know, you, you may not hear back. You know, these, these guys get a lot of responses, but, um, depending on, you know, who you write back and what the query is, you might be surprised. They pick you. They might do a whole piece on you. They might just, you know, quote you somewhere. They always give you a link back. So if you're building your link back on your website, that's, you know, Google ranking and credibility. And also, you know, again, like I said, you're going to go into the search engine and uh, so on and so forth. And sometimes it can be a full blown interview, right? I mean, they just need an expert and you could be that expert. So, Interesting tidbit
1: about Harrow I just discovered because I, I just signed up, and then uh-huh. I went in and looked, went into my account, and I found that I could delete my phone number. So uh, I don't know if that huh. means the phone number still went to Vocus or not, or maybe if there's only if they only ever ke- it depends on they structured their software. If they only keep yeah. one record per customer, then uh, Vocus isn't going to get my phone number now.
2: Hey, there you go. So, so you just signed up as we were talking. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. You're going to get three emails a day and I just, you know, scrub them really quickly and have a template, have a system, even put a timer in front of you. So you kind of like stay organized and, um, you know, you'll hear back, you won't hear back all the time. You know, the reporters don't say, okay, thanks. You know, I'll get back to you. But, um, I think if you respond and you know, you give them exactly what they need, you might be surprised. So cool. Awesome.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting An interesting angle. So uh, are there any other uh, tidbits or variations on what you've already given us for um, promoting your services as a coach or a developer?
2: You know, um, uh, speaking and getting out there to conferences and um, this one, of course, you know, we only have so much bandwidth and speaking is huge investment of time and effort. And I've done that. I actually haven't got that much from speaking but I think it's just added to the credibility right so um, I think that you know if you could get out there and uh, speak on your topic of expertise I really still believe that in-person connection and that's really harder for you know um, I know that you know coming from the engineering world you know in general you know my husband is an engineer too so it's just it might be harder for the, for that type of personality and I'm not saying you guys are shy in front of you know the crowd but it may be stepping way outside your comfort zone but I think if you really believe in your expertise, there is going to be places where you can speak in person, and it can be really good. It can be really good personal growth, and uh, then you get material. You can repurpose that material. You know, put together your presentation, put it on um, everywhere. In fact, I I heard another thing. I'm going to try. Um, What is that place where you put your online presentations? They called it like a PowerPoint deck. No, no no so, no so
1: a few well a few of us actually do conference speaking uh, i've done quite a bit chuck does some um uh-huh. and uh speaker deck is one of them anyway but um and chuck we might also want to link to i think we had a, we had a um, episode several months ago about speaking at conferences so that might be pretty relevant to this too
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah i was thinking was it SlideShare? maybe i'm thinking SlideShare. is that one of them Yeah,
0: that's another one yeah SlideShare. okay that's an older one
2: yeah. But anyway, I mean, just to answer your question, I think, um uh, okay, so I didn't know about uh, speaking deck. Thank you. But um that's, you know, speaking, if you can add that, uh, or if you don't want to get out there in front of people doing webinars, you know, I, I had, you know, um, different uh, results from webinars. I just, you know, don't think I was doing it as well. Maybe I should try again, but I, I like it. And I like attending good webinars. And then you have material, again, to use later, repurpose, send to your audience, put on YouTube, what have you. So.
0: Yeah, the webinars are are nice. That's more or less what I'm doing with my course because it's an online course and I'm using GoToMeeting to to host it. Um, If I have more people sign up next time, then obviously I'm going to have to move to a product that allows a few more people on each call. But... Yeah, I'm also thinking about doing a a webinar series this summer that's just kind of a, you know, hey, here here are some topics that you're probably interested in learning, you know, mm-hmm. so come sit in for an hour or so. And then, you know, I can either say, hey, this is part of this series that I'm doing or, you know, something like that and and just kind of let people know where, where more value is if they want more from me mm-hmm. uh, there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is that's interesting about those is that I really try not to be all pitchy about things. I don't want to I don't want to get in and the whole time be talking about some product I want them to buy. I want to give them the value and then say, you know, if you want more, then here's how you get it. So you then it's go sign up for the newsletter or, you know, go to this website and get this information here.
2: Absolutely. You know, you have to be true to your to your own style. I mean, and, and actually, I don't think people like it when you pitch to them. You know, you want to make it so that they want to find out because you are the expert and they want to learn more from you. And then they can figure out, you know, all those different levels to engage with you. So, um, no, I like that.
0: Is there anything else that we should cover on this before we move on to another topic?
2: I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, so right now I'm in book marketing mode and uh, it's a little bit different. Are you interested in, you know, talking about that? Is that relevant to your listeners?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I know several of our listeners and pretty much everybody on this panel is either writing a book or thinking about writing a book and so, or has written a book in, in Eric's case. So yeah, I think that'd be very relevant
2: okay all right so i have dabbed into uh, both the self-publishing world and now you know with the traditional publisher you know and both of them have been really amazing learning experiences right so um, this is the amazon uh, kindle store that i'm gonna um, talk about mainly and um, as far as self-publishing goes uh, i think uh, it's important to get your work out there okay some people are waiting for a publisher to you know uh, knock on their door i think it's important to get your work out there Amazon is a great platform. I can talk to you about the Kindle Store, the um, uh, Kindle Direct Publishing Program, you know, the ways you can promote your Kindle book. But um, first and foremost, you have to put quality work out there. And I say this because I've read so many Kindle books and some of them, I mean, people have put it together in 48 hours. You can tell it's barely spell checked. So put something together you're proud of and then Formatted well. Formatting is important. Customers ding you if it's not formatted well for their Kindle. I've seen that and um, they've even done that to me. So um, we learned our lesson early on. You know, you formatted really, really well and uh, you can either do it yourself, hire someone, use all kinds of tools online, what have you. And then you get it on the Kindle store. And then with Amazon, I think um, you have to understand this is a cold market you're selling to right? Your newsletter is warm. You've already built a relationship. They know who you are. Amazon, you know, is strangers, complete strangers that are buying your work. And so you have to position it as such that you are the authority. You want to go to um, Amazon uh, Author Central and make a profile. I mean, I can't tell you how many really good authors out there don't even take the time to put together a little bio on the Amazon Author Central, and if you want to take it really further, you want to do one for the US, then one for the UK store, France store, Dutch store, what have you. But definitely the UK and US store, you want to make sure that's all done right. And uh, and then you can put video, like you can actually put a little video trailer on your Author Central page. And then the most important thing for Amazon is reviews. You know, those Amazon reviews and you don't want to solicit them so much as, you know, because you don't want to just have like a product that has like all five star reviews that looks a little bit suspicious, but, um, you know, ask people to give honest reviews. If they're going to give you a three star, that's fine. You know, I used to be like, you know, you're going to give me a five star review at the beginning when I was like sharing my books with my friends. And then I realized, you know, that's just not true. If they are going to give you, you know, an honest review, let it be whatever, And now I don't even mind the two star reviews because they come. And what I do, my, my rule is what I do is for all my book reviews, the two star and the one star reviews, which are usually, you know, some, some lousy complaints, you're going to get people who are never happy, I make a comment you can go to Amazon and actually reply. So I actually reply and tell them, you know, you can ask for a refund, right? Sometimes they don't know they can ask for a refund on a Kindle book, they complain about the pricing. Or, you know, thank you so much for your feedback. That way, when potential buyers come and they see all the five star and four stars, and then they see the one and two stars, depending on what kind of Amazon buyer you are, you probably look at the extremes, they can also see your comment. So then they can make a more informative decision. Right. But Amazon, it all comes down to reviews and then also uh, taking advantage of KDP, which is a whole other program on top of it, which uh, did you want me to talk about that?
0: Sure. I don't even know what it is.
2: Okay. All right. KDP is Kindle Direct Publishing and basically KDP Select, actually, that's the name of the program. So Amazon gives you an option to enroll your book in this program in exchange for exclusivity for 90 days. That means you cannot sell or distribute for free your book to anywhere else during that 90 days. So what do you get in return? They allow you five free download days. You can either do all five at once. You can, you know, schedule them whenever you want in that 90 day cycle. And what happens is during those days when your book is free, so they slash the price and they say zero. Then. People download it. You know, I had one day when my um, eight pillars of motivation was downloaded 9,000 times. Okay. And this book wasn't selling at all, but because it was free, it shows up in different categories. And Amazon has a huge reader base, huge. So. Then the next day, what happens is the next day when your book or the next day or the day after when your book goes back on off sale and goes back to regular price, then it still holds those categories because it the free downloads push it up the Amazon categories, then you sell. And I remember the next day I sold a 100 books, which is pretty nice. You know, it's pretty good volume. It was selling maybe 20 a month. So that was really, really exciting. And so... Over time, when you do this and you use the Kindle Direct Publishing, then you're book starts to rank really well on the Amazon store. And I'm in love with Amazon. I'm in love with the Amazon Kindle store, in love with my Kindle. I mean, I'm a huge, huge Amazon junkie here. So, you know, and I'm passionate about writing books. So, you know, I, I, you need to stop me because I could go on and on. (laughs) So, but no, I think um, it's a great opportunity. You can self-publish your work. And then of course, you know, I had just the pleasure of working with a publisher just recently, and that's different, but it's, it was really good. You know, it worked out really well for me. So those horror stories of traditional publishers, none of that. I didn't experience any of that. So it's just a really good experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I think this is is just really amazing ideas regarding how to promote some of this stuff. So that's self-publishing. I assume with the big publishers, they they do most of the marketing or is there still stuff that you need to do?
2: No, 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 no. That's a huge misconception, Chuck, that uh, they do the marketing for you. Um, I think that uh, authors expect that, then they come away disappointed. I think if you're an author today and you're listening to this show, so you're on- familiar with the online world, you need to take leadership of that marketing. And I will tell you, that it has really, really paid off well for me. I mean, my book went live, The Healthy Juicers Bible, my, my print book, went live March seven. So it's only been out there a week, okay? At the beginning, I was actually not even interested in working with these publishers, but they were really interested. Had to hire a publishing lawyer, in case you don't know that, you really need to have someone review the contract, et cetera, et cetera. Then they give you a deadline for your manuscript, and I had it aggressive deadline, five weeks to turn this book around and a ton of things going on. Anyway, but during all that time, as I was writing the book, I still was thinking way ahead on the marketing because my goal was to impress this publisher so much that they want to work with me again and so i took on the lead for marketing and they were very responsive so you get assigned a publicist they get some free copies of your book to send around and they may call a few magazines and you know send out some in their distribution but if you take the lead they you know in my case were extremely responsive so i you know made a whole project out of it you know i had a reader base I knew people in my network who are crazy about juicing and then I just went out there and I found even more outlets and you know gave them all these reasons why different people need to get the book and then I you know send out templates to every single person and um, if they were interested you know in exchange I ask either for an Amazon review if they like the book or an interview appearing on their platform the only condition was my publisher said look for them to get a free book and for us to do this they just need to have some kind of a platform and that's easy to do because you know that's my entire network you know that's what we do so I took the lead on that marketing and it's a lot of work okay and then um, we did a video we did a whole video trailer a video we put both on a page uh, that I built and you know basically build a sales page and um, then we also put the video on Amazon and so you know we really really did a lot and this was March 7th the book went live and they already want me to work with them on a second book because I was such an active um, participant in the publishing and the marketing of it. And I mean, they liked me as a writer too. But I can tell you, if you take the lead in being responsible for getting your book out there and also building a relationship with your publisher without expecting all these things in return, and they're going to get it out there, you know, they put it in um, Costco's, for example, I don't have access to Costco's, right. And they're talking to Whole Foods now, you know, because it's a health book. But um, I really believe... The fact that I pushed so hard and I worked so hard on the marketing actually has made a difference. So and another thing, like the video I made, they send that to the entire um, the publishing house and told everyone that every author should be doing this, you know, use this as an example. <laughs> so take the lead because, I mean, we know the technology. I mean, you guys do. I know you do. And take advantage of it, right? Uh, you know, if they give you that opportunity to work with them, then just, you know, use the technology at our advantage and uh, impress them. And, you know, they are more than happy to work with you because they understand the world of publishing is changing. Even though it's traditional publishing, they still need to take advantage of the online marketing and you can be the face of that, uh, you know, marketing world for them. So. so
0: so my next question is, is what is the advantage of going with a traditional publisher over self-publishing? And then, um, the mm-hmm. reverse of that. What, what is the advantage of self-publishing over going with the publisher?
2: Yeah, great question. So I am a big fan of self-publishing. And when these guys came to me first, okay, the way they came to me is that they actually found my first juicing book, the one I self-published online. And what they offered me was that we would like to take your book off Amazon to self, to publish it, I'm sorry, as a print book to buy the rights and, you know, then instead of, you know, Amazon gives you 70% of uh, commissions, you would get what, maybe 10%. So you would do all that, but in return, you get a traditionally published book. And I said, no, thank you. Go away. (laughs) You know, I mean, at the time, my book was selling between three to four hundred copies a month, you know, and it was doing really well. And it's a $9 book, a $10 book. So I didn't want to lose out on all that, all that money. Then. They came back and they still wanted us to write a juice book. So we kept talking and we came up to another agreement, which was they're going to leave my juicing book alone, my first juicing book. They're going to leave my juicing business alone because I have a clinic, newsletter, all that stuff. You have to work all of this in your contract. And then I'm going to write a brand new book for them, you know, from scratch. And I don't like when authors come out with the second book, I don't know if you guys read a lot, but sometimes the second book is like 80% like the first book. I can't mm-hmm. stand that, you know? So I wanted to write a brand new book, use very little content from my previous book, but still, you know, expand on the title, on the on the work. You know, this was gonna be a general juicing book. I was gonna talk about healthy habits, et cetera, et cetera. So we came to a better agreement. You ask for the advantages of going with them. I really think there is still the credibility factor. And I can tell you that was just just an assumption on my part i was never you know i never like had a dream for a book deal some people do which is great but i have seen how the world around me perceives this as such a huge accomplishment you know sometimes i think some of my other accomplishments are bigger because you know i work so much harder at it but this is the one where it still carries huge weight huge weight so I think if you can, and then they have a distribution leg that I don't have. Like I said, you know, the book is in Barnes and Noble. It's in um, Costco's. It's in maybe Whole Foods. They are negotiating that. And, um, and my goal was to help people juice. That's my goal. You know, I don't think I'm going to make that much money with this book, but but I I still will. I mean, it's actually doing really well already, but my mission was to help people juice. And I don't think on my own, even with my first book selling, you know, a few thousand copies on Amazon, I still don't think I have the, I had the reach that I do now with this one, because there are people who really want that print book. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people emailed me saying, can I have your book in print? and I, and I didn't, you know, I didn't think there was a return on investment for it. So if you want to serve that market, there is a still a market, you know, they're still traditional. They want to flip through it. They want to feel it. They want to touch it. And, and I love books too. So I, I get that and uh, you reach them. So there is your answer. You may not make a lot more money, although I don't know yet. You know, I, I just don't know yet. I, I may. And, um, once in a while, you do really, really well and you get really, really well known. And, um, you know, um, there is all these other places where they want a traditionally published author. They still put a lot of stock into that. So I would say, don't wait to get your message out. And note that I actually came up to this opportunity because of my self-published work. So it can open up doors and opportunities for you. Does that help you answer mm-hmm. the question? Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, I mean, now I'm a fan of both and I absolutely loved working with them and I just love what they did with the print book. It's just beautiful. So um I would say just, you know, explore if you have the opportunity and see whether, you know, you want to commit.
0: All right. I kind of want to move on to uh making sure you're you're making the right product for your market. So um I I guess that is the next question. I mean, I feel like I kind of stumbled into the right product with my course. And, you know, I I think I have a good idea of some of the other things that I can put together for my market, but how, how do you, how do you decide what the right thing is and uh, how to put it together for them?
2: Um, well, I learned the hard way because I created a product that I wanted to create that I was in love with. And for the life of me, I haven't figured out how to sell it. And I thought it was a brilliant product. And you guys don't have, me, don't have to tell me it's brilliant, but it's basically to help you build confidence so you can travel the world because I think a lot of people are just scared. So I just break down all the reasons. And anyway, so I went about it in an isolated little vacuum of my own thinking that people would be interested in it because they associated traveling with me etc that's the wrong way of going about it I think you need to want to do the product or the course right that's the first thing you know that's why you're in business for yourself you might you have to want to do it but if you want to sell it and uh, you know, have some success, you need to make sure there is a market for it and that you can reach that market. So, um, it's a lot of, you know, building your platform. I mean, uh, it takes time. Okay. I will be honest with you. It takes time. And, um, unless you're very, very specific, like if you really know your specific expertise is helping people how to do this particular language, this particular coding, then, you know, maybe you just need to go write a book or, you know, just create a little course on that. But if you're open, and you're still trying to figure out, you know, which part of all your skills and expertise to package up, then, you know, everything we talked about, you know, you blog, you listen to your readers, you build that email list early on, and you communicate with people, you survey them, You know, people respond well to surveys. If you do it right and keep it short and sweet, um, you um, ask your clients, right? Every time you work with people, you ask your clients, you know, you ask people who you're building relationships with a lot of different ways, you know, but it's a lot of listening and um, also making sure you're not in love with an idea so much that you can't hear all that feedback, right? That's really important.
3: Yeah, makes sense. That's kind of what I do, too. Um, I've also found it's good to, especially if it's like a market you don't know, like, you know, I've started as a developer, so developer stuff I kind of know, but uh, one of my products is for um, human resources people. And so that's not Mm -hmm. something I'm very aware of. And what I found that works really good that I actually learned from Amy Hoy is to kind of go to where the audience is and Mm -hmm. read what they're talking about, read what they're doing, read what they're complaining Mm -hmm. about and, you know, like go through forums or with, you know, HR people, LinkedIn is huge. So going into all the LinkedIn groups and finding out kind of what conversations they're having and kind of Mm -hmm. picking up ideas from that. I mean, I've done that, I don't know how many hours I've put into that because I've done this two or three times for the HR people. And I mean, every time I do it, like my, I have probably 30 or 40 pages of notes that I take just from just reading wow. through things. And it, it's amazing because every time you do it, you're going to pick up different things. Like I did it once, picked up like, you know, topic A was a big deal. And then I picked up topic B was a big deal. And then I noticed, hey, look, topic C was actually found all over the place, but they talked about it, but in passing. And basically using that, I'm able to figure out kind of like what's what they need. And then from there, I can kind of figure out like, okay, can I build a product around this? Can I build a platform for this? And, you know, start doing what you're talking about, you know, get a mailing list, get a blog and start talking yes. to them and even talking to them in the forums or where they're at. And that kind of gets you them to come to your platform, too. And you know, it's it's pretty amazing.
2: That's awesome. Very good tips.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I have anything else to add to that. We'll start heading into the picks. Let's have Eric start us off with the picks.
3: Okay, so uh, March 13th, Seth Godin posted a really good uh, blog post that I actually sent around to a couple of people, and it's actually relevant based on what we talked about today. Um, it's called Choose Your Customers First. Um, it's very short, take you five minutes to read, but it's kind of what we talked about of you know, instead of you know going off in the basement, building a product, coming out with it, and then finding no one actually wants it, start your business on the other side, find out who your customers are, find out what they want, what they need, choose your customers and then make your product tailored for them. So it's, it's a good blog post that kind of sums up a lot of how I'm looking at marketing and kind of approaching customers. Mm,
0: I like it. Uh, Evan, what are your picks?
1: Um, Let's see. I got a few, not to be particularly self-serving, but a lot of it starts with a, um, a presentation that I did, I guess it was a week and a half ago at uh, Ruby on Ales um, called, if it bleeds, it leads. I'll, I'll have a link to it Um, in a nutshell. I strongly recommend reading the pattern, though these are going to be largely technical, by the way, uh, which I know is kind of uncommon for our picks, but um, I strongly recommend reading The Patterns of Enterprise Application Architecture by Martin Fowler, if you haven't. It's almost a how-to on how to write your own um, object-relational mapper um, and also describes an awful lot of the patterns that make Rails Rails in a nutshell. But what intrigued me also is... Particularly that Fowler points out a lot of the weaknesses that people have been complaining about in Rails and even has some suggestions about how to get around them or alternatives, really, which was part of the presentation. Um, Secondly, speaking of speaking, um, I'm presenting at um, Ruby Midwest in about a month. Then finally, again, self-serving. We're talking about books here. Um, I started working on a book called a Vim to Emacs, which is going to have. There's. It's going to be. A, you know, I'm going to sell the book, but it's also going to be available for free to those people who want to send me a postcard. Um, and I'll have the link to the newsletter for it. I'm going to be releasing it piecemeal. i probably be writing it on Leanpub. Um, so if you're a vimmer and you're looking to make a transition to, you know, a good editor pause for people exactly pause for people to scream at the podcast um no but if if you're a vim user and you're sick of vim script one of many reasons to to want to switch over to emacs from vim um then uh sign up for the mailing list and uh check it out
0: all right awesome so i'll go ahead and go next with my picks the first pick that i have is uh there's a product that i found and the reason that i uh picked it up was that i was having this issue where my uh my bootable uh, hard drive was um, filling up, and Mac OS complains bitterly when that starts to happen. So um, I started looking around to see if I could figure out a good way to manage it. Um, I did move quite a bit of stuff off of there, but it just didn't seem to be enough. It kept complaining. Um, it turns out that there is a program out there called Hazel, and uh, Hazel is, it gives you a rule set uh, for your file system. And then what you can do is uh, you point it at particular directories. You say, apply these rules to this directory, and it will just do it. So as an example, um, if I download uh, a new app, um, then it will put it into the downloads folder like it normally does. And then what I can do is I can actually um, tell it, if it has a .app extension, move it over into the applications folder. Or if it has a .zip um extension, then unzip it. And then, you know, as it runs through the rules, whatever it unzipped, it'll figure out what to do with it and move it off to wherever it's supposed to be. So if it's a video, it'll move it off to uh, one of the other drives in my Mac Pro, and it'll put it in the movies folder over there. Things like that, or a .dmg, it'll put it into the installers folder. Um, And then I can just go over there and find it when I want it. And so uh, I've, I've been really, really happy with with that, and it it really helped me get a handle on my unwieldy downloads folder and cleared out about fifty gigabytes off of my uh, bootable uh, drive. So I, I really really like that. Another pick I have, and this is totally not a technical or business pick, but I just started rewatching Battlestar Galactica, and um, it it's still my favorite TV show of all time. So um, <laughs> my my wife. Wa- my wife thought it was funny that I was watching it again, but anyway. Um. Okay,
1: if we're if we're gonna go for those, I have got two more. <laughs> <So> if we're <laughs> gonna talk, if we're gonna talk media, I because ha- I've got I got two things that have completely ob- obsessed me in my spare time. One of them is is downright embarrassing, so it should be fun. Um, the first one that's not embarrassing is the House of Cards series on Netflix. Um, it's an original series that's. Uh, related to a, a BBC series with Kevin Spacey in the lead and that guy could make toilet paper look interesting so um, it, it's it's magnificent if not for any other reason for 13 hours of <laughs> Kevin Spacey um, and then the second one and, and, and this one is truly just embarrassing is um, the season 2 of, of the cartoon uh, Young Justice it's called Young Justice Invasion and I found it as, as someone who's a comic book fan I found it shockingly good that is that that they're 20 or so minute episodes. I found that when I put one of those on and I get on my um, stationary exercise bike, the time just flies.
0: Awesome. All right, Farnoosh, do you have some picks for us?
2: All right. So, my favorite app lately is because, you know, now I work with my husband and he found this collaboration app and it's called Asana. I love that because you know asana is a yoga posture but it's actually a collaboration tool it's on the Mac I don't know if it's on the PC and it's everywhere so it syncs up to your phone and it is a smart intuitive brilliant collaboration app and I love it it's free that's a-s-a-n-a asana.com love that um, if you guys are into writing books we talked a lot about writing books I love Scrivener Scrivener is not free but it's been worth every penny and it's just you know brilliant Really helps you lay out your book and um, work distraction free. So I love that. Uh, As far as um, gadgets, I love my Editorol, which is a digital recorder. And you guys know Cliff is also crazy about it. He got me to buy one, and um, I think it's really a good backup tool because some of my other, you know, iPhones and stuff sometimes they can be unreliable. But the Editorol is really a good backup tool for recording and also the actual thing I use for podcasting.
0: Yeah, we're we're um, recording into an Editorol right now, so.
2: There you go. There you go. And I think um, one of the best articles I ever read was You Weren't Meant to Have a Boss. It's a really brilliant article, don't remember who wrote it, but if you just type, you weren't meant to have a boss, and what he does is he compares us, you know, people who are in the corporate world or in this, you know, world uh, or organization where they have a boss or hierarchy, he compares us to animals in the wild, and it's just a fascinating description, and it takes you down that path and really questions the fact that, you know, are you as a human being supposed to have a boss, and I just love it, and I actually, you know, have shared that with a lot of people and uh, my book recommendation again to keep it with the theme of writing I absolutely love Stephen King's on writing it's half memoir half you know it talks about writing tips but it's brilliant and um, I really recommend you read it so there you go
0: awesome Thanks for coming, uh, Farnoosh. It's been an excellent episode, and I think our audience is going to benefit greatly from all of the advice that you've given us and and some of the thoughts that Eric and Evan have added as well.
2: Thank you for having me. You guys are a lot of fun, and you can have me back anytime you like. So this is uh, this is really a great uh, medium you guys have and uh, great dynamics here. So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.